In this week's update, markets are happy, but should they be? The best way to deal with the uncertainty, and gold sets a new all-time peak. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Let's start with the market perspective. Um, it was all about the Fed last week and what the market thought of what the Fed did and, and was saying. So in the end, the Fed raised another quarter uh, point to a range of between 5 and 5.25%, and that was the expected outcome. So no surprises there. But looking at the, um, at the futures for, uh, for the Fed cash rate, the market is expecting that rate to come down by three quarters of a percentage point by the end of this year. So in other words, at least three quarters of a point of rate cuts and then a further one and a quarter uh, percent by December 2024. So that's what the market is expecting. That's what the market is pricing in. But you've got to step back and ask yourself whether that is realistic. And the current focus has been on the language that the Fed left out. You know, the statements that they've been making um, since the start of the rate hiking cycle, some of them disappeared. And and I'm not saying that that's not, not significant, but there seems to be a total focus on that and the market is feeling now very comfortable that peak rates are pretty much there and that we're actually going to see rate cuts before this year is out. Um, but if you actually look at what's still in the statement, there's nothing in the statement that suggests anything about rate cuts. Yes, a pause, but rate cuts there's a good chance that the market is getting ahead of itself in terms of rate cuts, and that's what's being priced in. So that's the overhang that could disappoint the market later on in the year, and particularly if some of the inflation data doesn't continue to fall as it has been, then you know we, we might see a, a bit of a washout in the market as a consequence. So that's my sort of cautionary stance, and, and those of you that have been watching these videos over the last period of time, and I've been doing them for 16 years now, uh, will know that my fundamental orientation is bullish. That That's you know how I see the world, that's how I like to think about things, and if there's a, if there's a choice between a bullish outcome and a bearish outcome, then I'm more likely to take the bullish one. So this caution is, I think, in my view, warranted. Um, it's not something that I, that I do lightly, I'm not naturally bearish. But I just think there's still a lot of dangers out there and a reasonable degree of caution is warranted. So for me, the prudent path forward is to assume that there's a rate pause. I think there's a, there's a decent case for that, that 5% to 5.25 may well be the peak. But I just can't buy into the argument that it's a done deal that the Fed is going to cut rates. Um, so I'm assuming that there'll be no rate cuts now until 2024. I just think that's the prudent way to go. And so therefore, some of these uh, stock revaluations, in other words, allow or putting, uh, putting a greater premium into stock prices, assuming that the PE expansion is going to occur, I think are a bit premature. So as a consequence, anything that's been rising of late, you just want to be a little bit more careful with buying into that op optimism. That's, I guess that's the message out of this video today. Now, the question is, 
is the US financial system out of the woods? Jeremy Powell's saying it is. Uh, the CEO of um, JP Morgan, um, uh, Diamond, is saying it is. That, you know, it's the regional banking crisis is all over. Um, on everything that I read, I think that's most unlikely, and I'll show you some charts that would certainly suggest that it's most unlikely. Um, and when you step back and look at what actually caused the problem with the regional banking crisis, it was the speed of the rate increases over the last year that caused the bank runs, the, and I won't get into the, the, the details, there's plenty of other places you can read that, um, but it was, the, it was the speed of those rate rises that caused the bank runs, and the Fed is still hiking at this point in time, and there is nothing that's written down anywhere that says that they can't raise again. So I can't say I can't see how anyone can say that it's most unlikely that the US financial system is out of the woods. And and the issue is that if it's not out of the woods, if there are more regional banks that are going to fall over, you know, who knows where those dominoes start to, to start to fall and and what other unintended consequences occur. So what does it mean for us as investors? I think it means periodic system instability. And by the system, I'm talking about the US financial system. Um, certainly, I think there's going to be more equity sell-offs and extreme volatility for the remainder of this year. And if you're not factoring that into your plans, then you're just not being realistic. It may or may not happen, but if you assume that it's not going to happen, I think you're in, you're in dangerous territory. Will it be a disaster? Is it a disaster for investors? Not at all, because there are always sections of the market that are doing well, even when, when the general market is not. And I just think we've had a period of weakness since the start of 2022, where a lot of sectors have either gone down or gone sideways. The businesses have improved, and so therefore the opportunity has improved. So it's just a matter of identifying those opportunities and being prepared with an appropriate game plan. So that's how I see the US market and hence sentiment for the world and hence the Australian market. You know, they're all connected. Let's look at the US market. The S&P down 0.8% across the week, but a very good finish on Friday. Um, I think there's a very good case for some groups, some industry groups, to see Earnings, continued earnings per share growth and strong growth, and to also see some marginal expansion. So if you look at the top end of town, stocks like Apple and Microsoft have come down very significantly in the PEs that they were trading at, somewhere around 30, going back a year, year and a half, and we're now down probably in the high teens. So there's been a significant margin contraction, um, and that has caused the share price falls. We're now seeing earnings surprising to the upside, and if the market starts to price that those PE multiples, starts to raise those PE multiples again, then you can see fairly rapid uh, price rises. But that all assumes the um, the Goldilocks outcome, and, I, and I'm not convinced that we're going to get that. So to me, one should only be buying into periodic weakness because there are risks out there and buying into periodic weakness rather than chasing prices helps to negate the risks. The US dollar index uh, was slightly lower again, down to 101, so it's still under pressure. 
The 10-year yield was steady, around three, just under 3.5%. The VIX bounced a little bit from under 17 to just over 17, and the 10-year, two-year spread started to contract a little, which is, uh, which is interesting. It was up around 0.6, I think, last week. Now we're down to, to 0.48. Let's go and look at some charts, see where the money's flowing. So we'll start with the S&P. So you can see um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, significantly to the downside, and then a really nice move back up on Friday, but net down a bit for the week. Let's have a look at the spreads. This is uh, on a weekly chart, large cap growth versus large cap value, money freely flowing back into the growth parts of the market. And that's been the case since the start of uh, 2023. And that's, um, that's a very steep rise. That's as steep as any of the falls that we saw from, um, from the start of last year. NASDAQ versus the S&P, we've had a bit of a uh, a bit of a pullback in that ratio, but unquestionably we're off again and the NASDAQ, the more aggressive sectors of the market are being favoured relative to the more defensive sectors. Uh, this is semiconductors versus the S&P. Again, we've had, at a medium term view, we've had a great rise. We've now had a pullback, a bit of a readjustment, that's normal, but starting to move back to the upside again. So semiconductors, Still looking pretty good. The semiconductors that have reported so far have um, generally beaten expectations and have been rewarded in their share price. There is still quite a few to come and some of the majors still to come between now and uh, the end of the next couple of weeks. So that's looking positive. And then small caps, small cap growth versus small cap value. Not a lot of change there, really just going sideways. So the, the market not really favoring Either, uh, either one. Um, nothing much changed here on the various sector ratios, so I, I, won't, uh, I won't comment on that. Now let's just have a look at a couple of other key charts. So this is the regional banks that I was talking about. This, this has been a big part of the confidence problem over the last uh, few months since uh, it, you know, it first emerged with the Silicon Valley Bank. So if you look at, this is KRE, which is the regional banking ETF for the states. Uh, we peaked in January of 2022 at, uh, at around 78. Uh, we're now trading down at 38. So for a, a broadly based ETF, that's a big, big fall. And look at the falls since, um, since March. That's when it all started to come apart and we've fallen from around 62 to, um, to a low just um, on Thursday of, uh, of 34 and a half. So when you look at that, um, the, undeniably this is a, a very, very powerful and panicked move to the downside. Um, for anyone to say that the regional banking crisis is now over is, um, I think has got another agenda. And if we look at one of the other ones that's in the really in the spotlight at the moment, this is PacWest Bank Corp, which is uh, another one that the market is betting uh, is going to run into trouble on the 3rd of, um, so this is on a weekly chart. On the 3rd of March, they were trading at nearly $30. Uh, we hit a low of $2.48. So that's an extraordinary fall. And you don't get this level of volatility 
when it's all good, in inverted commas, because banking only survives on the trust of the depositors. And trust and confidence is an incredibly variable thing. It can be here today and gone tomorrow and takes a while to get back. And anything that destroys trust and confidence in the banking system can kill a bank in a, in a matter of 24 or 48 hours. And we've seen that on a couple of occasions in the last few months. As soon as there's a bank run, it, it doesn't matter whether the bank is profitable or what its financial position is in, it's all over because of the leverage factor. So um, I just think that the regional banking system cannot be described as the crisis over, you know, it's all good, we're back to normal, um, because to me those charts tell us that it's not. So that's my, um, that's my cautionary flag for, uh, for markets at the moment. US dollar, you can see still under pressure, no real lift there, and uh, that's starting to cause the Aussie dollar to, um, to head back up towards this key support and resistance level around 67.5, close the week at uh, just under 67. So that's the story of the US market. Australian stocks, 66.81 is where we finished. Our index down 1.2 across last week, but should start in positive territory. Uh, certainly our index not helped by uh, the outlook statements from NAB and ANZ, which were um, less than what the market was looking for. And so finance stocks were sold, sold down. But look, we are seeing small caps, seeing uh, much improved money flows into uh, into small caps. So let's go and look at those. So first of all, that's the ASX 200. Um, not a bad rebound on Friday, perhaps in anticipation of what was um, what was happening in the uh, or going to happen in the U.S. So overseas institutions um, basically front running the opening of the um, the European and, and U.S. markets. Uh, if we just have a quick look through. The indices, there's there's energy. Medium term, it's really just going sideways. Finance certainly took a hit on um, on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, healthcare is still trending to the upside, so it's looking looking pretty good. Materials, we got a bit of a bounce back Thursday and Friday, but if we go through to, I want to have a look at small caps. So there's XSO. It's now hold the index is now holding uh, above the 200 day, which is now turning turned up. So things just starting to look a little bit better for small caps. And this is the really interesting comparison chart. So this is over the last 12 months looking at um, in order healthcare, communication services, uh, energy materials, ASX 200, small caps and finance right at the bottom. So you can see that small caps languishing near the bottom over the last 12 months. But let's start to zero in because this is when it gets much more interesting about where the opportunities um, might be building. Sorry. Okay, so that's the last year. Let's look at the last quarter. So we've got communications on top, then healthcare, so not a lot of change there. But look, look at where small caps have moved to over the last, when you look at it only over the last three months. They've moved right up the pecking order. 
and let's zero in a little bit further. So look at the last month. We're now up to almost up to the top of the tree for small caps over the last month. So you can see the trend and let's go right down to the last fortnight. And XSO has been the most strongly performing sector in the Australian market over the last fortnight. So I think this is the real opportunity. Um, now, small caps does not mean speculative. There are a lot of fabulous businesses that are as financially um, in good shape as anything on the market. They just happen to have a small market capitalization. So I think there's certainly opportunities in that area. There is undoubted opportunities in world-class small cap mining stocks with, with the X factor that, um, that are trading at a, at a fraction of their net present values. So there are opportunities all over the place and I just sense that money flows in, a, in the Australian market are starting to recognize that. So that's the bullish message amongst uh, the, the overall caution that I've got about some, some ongoing volatility. Okay, let's move now to precious metals. Gold was up uh, $24 to 2020, but the big news is that it surged to almost 2100. So it surged beyond the previous all-time highs. 2094 was the peak. Uh, before um, falling back quite a bit. Slightly lower in Australian dollars, partly because the Australian dollar went up, but we're still holding above 3,000 on, uh, on the Australian dollar gold price. Looking at precious metals uh, globally, GDXJ, it's continuing to outperform uh, the gold price, but only just. The real opportunity is in, uh, is in Australia, certainly with, um, with existing producers, but the real spice is in the, the emerging, the emerging uh, producers that have got world-class assets. And I've been saying that now for, uh, for two years. So let's take a look at that part of the market. So first of all, silver. Not up to its all-time highs, but certainly moving very, very strongly in silver. So we've, we certainly got up to that, that peak that we saw back in March of 2022. So we've come a, a long way fairly quickly from the early March. So basically two months, we've gone from 20 and hit a, uh, hit a peak of nearly 27. So that's a pretty fair move in, uh, in silver. But looking at gold, this is on the, on the daily chart. And if we pan back and have a look at where the, the prior peaks were, you can see we actually, on an intraday basis, we managed to get uh, above it on, uh, on Friday. And there it, there it is on the, uh, on the weekly. So it did finish off its highs. So obviously some pressure coming in up here, which you'd expect. Once, once you've had a run there, but you've, you've got to say with almost continuous successive higher weekly lows um, in these candles, the, the path of least resistance is, is to the upside. There's no question on, uh, on gold. Turning to other commodities, uh, copper was down to 382, so sort of struggling a bit with the recessionary fears. 
uh, and some of the data that's coming out of China. But, you know, one would think that China will have to get around to what they've always done, and that's start to re-stimulate the economy. Nickel uh, still sitting around 11.25. In fact, I think it was up a little bit. Commodity prices are volatile. They're going to continue to be volatile while recessionary fears uh, are still out there. You just need to take a longer term view, you know, back absolute quality, back emerging stocks with X factors and have a plan. There's many, many different ways that you can do it. Uh, But turning up without a plan and just buying some tips in the mining sector is not one that's going to succeed. Crude oil, uh, 71.3, bit of a roller coaster. It spiked down to 65 at one stage. But my reading of the situation in the oil space is that the spike down to 65 was more about the Saudis cutting their official selling price than recessionary fears or, or fears about China. Um, that you know may or may not be a correct assessment, but that's the best that, that I can offer at this stage. And, and so my point is that, you know, I don't think there's anything structurally a problem with the oil market. And I, and I still expect the oil market to move higher over the next couple of years. Turning to lithium, which has, you know, been a significant focus of mine for some time. And the, uh, the results that we've been getting from Pilbara Mines, from IGO, and, and now the world's biggest um, lithium miner, Albemarle, Give us some insight into what's really happening because there's a lot of stuff being written out there that's just ill-informed um, and and perhaps even biased. So this is from the ALB results. Um, they have downgraded their expectations of the sliding prices in lithium, which in some cases are off by 60% or more over the last uh, four or five months, have required a downgrade. But we've got to keep this in perspective. So in February their expectations for financial year 23 were for 4.7 billion in earnings. They've now downgraded that. So two months later, three months later, they've downgraded from 4.7 billion to 3.75 billion. But, and you know, you had to know that there was a but coming. Um, the Q1 income, if, if you look at Q1 income for this year, so that's the March quarter, it's 1.24 billion versus 253 million in the March quarter last year. So whilst they've now brought forward or they've brought in a downgrade, they're still making money at some, something like five times the rate that they were just 12 months ago. So, you know, please keep the lithium situation in perspective. And also their current... FY23 pricing forecast, so looking forward um, to the end of the year, is still, even though it's down significantly from the peak, and that's what everyone seems to be focusing on, how far it's fallen from the peak. But the peak was always unsustainable and unrealistic, and everybody knew that, and it was never in the share prices. So everyone seems to be focusing on the, the big fall from the peak rather than stepping back and looking at how it relates to the year before and the year before that. And Albemarle's expectation for FY23 is that pricing will still be 25% higher than the previous year. Now, 
If demand was falling off, it would be more of a, a serious problem. But volume demand still remains strong. Um, and peak lithium was never priced in to the share prices of these stocks. And that's why they were trading on such low PE multiples. Because, you know, 70, 80,000 uh, US dollars was never in, in the share prices. And so the fact that prices have come back is just, it's got to be looked at in, in proper perspective. And so I think the big sell-off in lithium stocks and the negative sentiment around lithium stocks is presenting us with, uh, with a terrific opportunity. And if you look at the share prices of the Australian major lithium producers over the last uh, month or so, and that tells the story. It's higher highs and higher lows. So the, the market has already started repricing that reality. There's the spot copper chart. Um, it's hard to see right over on the right-hand side of the chart there, but it did tick down a little bit. Here's the copper inventories. That's part of the reason copper inventories have lifted from around 50,000 tonnes to almost 70,000 tonnes. So that's a bit of it. Um, spot nickel is still not that far off um, the, uh, the lows of the last 12 months. Uh, and and sorry, there's the there's the stock levels for uh, nickel continuing to fall. All right, final thoughts, wrapping it all up. I just think we've got a, an absolutely wonderful period ahead of us, but you've got to be very selective. There's only going to be certain parts of the market that are going to do well. And as always, and I hope I don't get boring, but um, you've got to have a clear plan. Now that clear plan really needs to be simple. So that's the good news. It's not some, you know, complex document. It just needs to be very simple, but it needs to be very clear, something you can stick to. And, um, and it's something that you consult regularly. So many investors that I, you know, that contact me, that I speak to, are focused on the, on the bit in front of their nose because it's easy, it doesn't require any work, and, you know, you you just get buffeted around from side to side by a very volatile market. If you step back and, and just take a look at life in general, any story of success involves hard work and a, and a strong team around, you know, around that particular person. It's just the way it works. And so if, you, if you're trying to just um, focus on the, the 10 centimetres in front of your nose and not do much work and not be drawing on expertise of others, then um, your chance of success is probably not terribly high. Portfolio analyst last week, it was taking stock, which is something that I do once a month. Um, it's an educational forum. It, it's really about the reality of, of how the market operates rather than what a textbook will tell you about theory. So a pretty important and valuable uh, part of portfolio analyst. That's it for this week. More information on the website. There's my email address. I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.